Today on the Vergecast, Ashley Carmen and Sean O'Kane join the show to talk about everything that's been happening at CS. We get into the Sonos lawsuit against Google, talk about all the car news here, into the streaming wars in Quibi, and some foldable PCs. That's coming up on the Vergecast. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of this moment. I am your friend, Eli. Dieter Bone is here. Egg. 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 I don't, egg, know, I don't know Egg. 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 We foolishly invited Sean O'Kane here. <laughs> You're welcome. Ashley Carmen's here. I missed the egg memo. I don't really know what's going on. We'll get there. <laughs> There's a lot happening. We're at CS, as you can tell by my defeated, <laughs> defeated tone of my voice. We've been in Las Vegas for some time now. Dieter, what would you say about the show? You've been writing about it every day. I have been writing about it every day. Uh, it is a show full of a lot of companies that aren't really sure what they should make next, so they made a lot of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I love ideas. Yeah. Ideas that fold, ideas that have lights in them, ideas that potentially unfold, but they won't let you try. <laughs> ideas that roll around. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's happening? So we obviously did one uh, Vergecast earlier this week. We talked about all the TV stuff that had come out. A bunch more stuff has happened since, uh, but to me... The thing that's been hanging over the show from the first day, yep. the morning the show floor opened, there was a story in the New York Times that said Sonos is fed up with Google and Amazon, and they're going to sue Google. And then, indeed, uh, Sonos dropped a patent lawsuit on Google. Peter, you want to kind of walk us through the the twists and turns of what's going on here? So for years, we've been asking Sonos, hey, what's going on with Google Assistant on your speakers? What's going on? And they're like, you know, you know, you know. And then they finally started demoing it. And we're like, cool. It'd be great if, it, you know, you could have both wake words on at the same time. And they're like, yeah. And then they demonstrated that they could do it. And it turns out that they weren't allowed to because Google said they weren't allowed to. Uh, Amazon denies that they uh, said no to this. And Sonos is like, we're tired of getting crushed and we have a lot of foundational patents for the idea of having multiple speakers in multiple rooms on the, the same audio system. And so we're suing you for infringing on our patents, Google. Uh, we're, we're tired of, of being under your thumb and we're tired of you infringing our IP. And they'd been negotiating for a while apparently, but Sonos got tired of it. Yeah. And, um, it's huge. And like the most interesting thing to me, well, there's so many interesting things, but one <laughs> of the most interesting things to me is the New York Times article explicitly states that they could sue Amazon too, but they can't afford to take on both giants at once. Yeah. Which makes sense to me. Like just the way lawsuits work, like Google can just keep stringing them out until they're dead. Right. Like that's just like a thing. Google has enough money to do it. So you go up against Amazon too. You're, you're fighting two fronts. You're spending literally twice as much money for lawyers. You've got, that's a big risk. Also, I strongly suspect baked into that was they know what assistance people are using and I bet everyone is using Alexa on their Sonos speakers and no oh. one's using assistant yeah, yeah. and they're like we'll just go with the one that sucks <laughs> um, how so, does Sonos afford to fight Google seriously I mean they have a I mean they're a public company yeah. I, 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 ch- I looked at their financials the day the lawsuit was filed um, I mean they're, they're doing well they have a bunch of cash in the bank I mean 
They are selling more units than ever before. Well, the other thing I'll say there real quick is I suspect that Google will not feel completely free to go like scorched earth on Sonos. I just walked bad. through the Google house here at CS yeah. and like they have a display of like Sonos stuff working with assistant. Like <laughs> it hasn't, they haven't like blown it up. I think to me, the question is, and actually you've covered like a lot of hardware startups. Can you be like a small or mid size hardware company and survive? Like in Sonos well, is that's why I'm like, how are they going to afford this? Right. Because I'm like, it's already really difficult to make it as a hardware startup without fighting Google, who has literally unlimited funds, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to just decimate you. Yeah, and I think the thing that's different here, and I, Patrick Spence, the CEO of Sonos, has been on this podcast a bunch of times. And we've talked a bunch of times. Sonos is like over 15 years old. They came, they launched in like 2001, 2002. They have this portfolio of like 700 patents. They have loyal customers who are like literally buy every product. They've got like happy, rich customers. Like Jay-Z has like Sonos speakers in his house. We know this because he says it in the songs. Every rich Silicon Valley executive has Sonos speakers in the house. So they've got this like base of goodwill. They do have cash in the bank. They can probably go afford to, to do this. What really gets me though is we did sit down with Sonos and say, well, I want you to love both wave words. And they had to like shiftily look away and be like, people will be confused about what timer they're setting. Yeah. And I we, mean, that was like one of the most interesting things to come out of this story. Yeah. It's just that Amazon and Google won't play nice and will not allow Sonos to put both on this. So the, the Amazon won't play nice thing is especially interesting because there was like a some sort of correction there. And also Amazon started this alliance of like, let's, let's have all voice assistants play nice with each other. Like a year and a half ago, I think it was actually, I have no idea how long ago it was. It could have been a decade ago, the way time works these days. Yeah. And that alliance got launched without Google, Samsung, or Apple clearly in the middle of all of these, uh, backroom fights over what would work with what. Yeah. So I read the lost tune because of course I did. Um, <laughs> and so like the story is basically like Sonos wanted to do this thing and have all the assistants work neutrally on its speakers. They approached both companies. They had already done an integration with Google play music to work on Sonos. That integration, according to Sonos is like, these are Sonos's allegations. Um, that integration was deeper than their standard one because they let the, the Google play music app RIP. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they bet on a Google service lasting. Um, they let the they let Google's app control the Sonos speakers directly, which they had never done before. So like we had this like deeper partnership, and then Google like turned around and launched Chromecast Audio, and, and they said, "We're you're infringing our patents. Like don't do that." I read these patents. I suspect that they've won lawsuits. Like they sued Denon in like 2014. It took three years. They actually won a jury trial where they said Denon was infringing their like wireless streaming patents. The patents are for things like. Uh, a, wi a Wi-Fi setup interface using a phone, pairing two speakers in stereo and managing the time differential between them. Wireless speakers are hard. So if you have multiple speakers playing and they have slightly different clocks, then you have to pick one and like sync the clocks and make their, as the clocks drift, they get resynced. So it's like patents on stuff like that. It, none of it is like so crazy you'd never think of it. Like it's patents on solving the problems of, I took a speaker out of the box, it's gotta get on the Wi-Fi network, here's the flow for how to do it. Or I have multiple speakers, they need to talk to each other, how would you do it? Like they're, they're pretty foundational. I think that's Sonos's leverage here. Because what they want is behavioral concessions from Google. They want Google to say, we, you can run both assistants at once. They want Google to say, we will let you extend our platform in ways that we don't let other partners extend our platform. That's not patent lawsuit stuff, but they don't have the ability like Spotify has in the Euro European Union to sue Apple and say you're anti-competitive. Like we don't have 
laws that work that way. So Spotify is like in the EU being like, we can't get on the Apple watch. We'll just sue you and say that's anti-competitive and Apple will back down. Like you can't do that here. But if you have this big patent portfolio on all this foundational technology, you can say, we're going to sue you on these five patents, two of which we've won. And our settlement, you will agree that we can run both at once. And I think yeah. that's kind of the big strategy here. Yeah. Um, it's worth pointing out on the patent stuff specifically, uh, Amazon says it didn't use any of Sonos's technology. And Google didn't initially say that. And then like a day later, when I asked them for comment again, they added a sentence saying, we didn't use any of their technology when we invented our stuff. I think the, the key here is like, to make wireless speakers, you have to invent some of this stuff. Yeah. And like some of the solutions I think are, are like the solutions, but they invented it first and they have the patents. And like whether or not they did it on purpose, it kind of doesn't matter. It only matters in terms of damages. Like, did you are, does your product infringe the patent or not? I just love that CES always has a B plot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there is, every year there's something going on here that isn't going on here that's also definitely going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that the murmurs of like all the indie hardware companies here, all the smaller hardware companies here are like, finally, we hate working with the big companies. They're constantly trying to squeeze us. They're constantly infringing our IP. They're taking our inventions and using them. And we can't do anything about it because we need them to survive. We need to interoperate with Alexa and uh, HomeKit and Google Assistant. We need, we need our app on the iPhone. And Apple decides that they're going to slow down our updates to get apps through because they're mad at us. Like, our product will die. So I think the B-plot the B is, like, we're really mad at these companies. We hate, well, That was the title of your piece. Yeah, well, I mean, the, them making this story come out an hour before the show floor opened, <laughs> guaranteed that everybody on the show floor, instead of saying, so, how's your show, said, so, Sonos, eh? And yeah. that, that, that changes a lot, because a bunch of these little companies are going to be talking to each other about how they hate being vassals of you know, Google and Amazon and maybe even Apple, instead of talking about what the coolest gadget was they saw. And there- if you're a small hardware company and you can't figure out your business, just become a patent troll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there you any are guaranteed obvi- to survive. Is there any <laughs> obvious break in this pattern? Like, is there a chance some sort of like soft bank vision fund for hardware startups like arrives in the next couple of years oh and like, uh, starts bankrolling some of these startups the so board. that they, you know, have a better shot of competi- competing with these giant I think companies? SoftBank or? is weirdly I mean, smarter than that. I mean, this is your word. I mean, this is why you cover many pods, right? Like, <laughs> I've been very disappointed with the pod technology at yeah. CS. The, the, the pod people have a booth here. I know they went all in. Yeah, they have a they got, like, neon sign. They've got like weird, like, like, like phone booth things that you walk into so that the sense don't bleed into shocked. each other. I walked into it and I had a headache within three seconds. <laughs> I was just like, damn, business must be really freaking good for yeah. scent pods. People have scent pods. I'm not hating. I'm just amazed at <laughs> how good business seems well, that they can afford yeah, the big neon sign. There's That's a little cool. like MLM around it too. <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> like, oh my god! Hey everyone, buy. I've started selling scent pods. <laughs> Use my code. <laughs> so that's the Sonos story. This obviously, like everyone's talking about it. I think Sonos is like playing the game here. Uh, Patrick Sonos is to testify in front of Congress on July 17th. It's Sonos talking about patent infringement in the other company is pop sockets like so and pop sockets are going to testify at an antitrust hearing wait are you kidding January. i'm oh absolutely not i did kidding. not get that memo uh so pop sockets is going to be there yeah 
You're like in it. You're wait, like, wait, why is, wait, why is Pop Sockets? Uh, at the- because they are very mad that Amazon ripped off Pop Sockets. Wow. Yeah. So like, wow. They sold a lot I, am, of Pop I was like already like, okay, this is the perfect Neelai story. Like Sonos, yeah. patents. That's got every little piece. Yeah. And now it's like phone, Pop Sockets yeah. is mad at Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, With our going, powers combined. Oh, I am ready now. I mean, that's I the best thing ready. is like all these big tech companies are like corralling these weird sort of alliances and like cohorts, like where like now Pop Sockets has like the same argument as like all birds where they're like, yeah, Amazon, this isn't cool. Like we're not well, going to, and this up. is the thing though that, and that's actually really interesting. I don't know if pop sockets has IP or anything around there. I'm going to clearly assume. not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so this is, this kind of speaks to the hardware problem is like Sonos was smart. They created technology, you know, magic leap also is it just mm-hmm. that's top of mind for me right now has IP. Like they invented something, they patented it. They could become patent trolls if they wanted to. Yeah. Other hardware companies that do something that is like, Inventive. Pop socket is inventive. It's taken over. People love grips on their phone. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to protect. Yeah. And like that's that is the struggle of hardware. And that's why every hardware company now is also a software company. If I really smart. am dying for the moment on the 17th when like some senator is like, what is a pop socket? Oh my God, yeah, I can't yeah. wait so for this. It's a socket that pops. <laughs> uh, sir. Wow. And then like the big speech, it's like children across America are struggling to hold their giant phones. And this inventor popped the socket. Like this that's like incredible. going to happen. Right? Like the my big shoulder oh my popped God. out of its socket <laughs> the other day. And then like just like a random other center, just like grandstanding about some other issue. It's going to be great. Amazon is a scourge and an American, like, this is going to be great. And the, the pop sockets guy is going to be there, like, holding his phone with the handle. Um, look, I'm with you. I think the problem is, can you be a middle, medium-sized company? Like, we should have medium-sized companies. Like, they should be good competition. And right now, it seems like you can't be a medium-sized company. The other one I keep always thinking about is Eero, which, like, failed for a variety of reasons. But, like, when they sold to Amazon, we're like, ah, you could have you been it. And they, they, it turns out they could not. I mean, I wrote this report about wireless charging tech while I'm here and the air power, the, the, the white space where people think they're going to fill in where air power couldn't. And the reality is they want to create these charging pads that are able to charge wherever you put your device. But because of the Apple Watch lim- limitations with Qi, they can't do it, literally. Yeah. So like Nomad is going to be one of the first companies to release something widely that can do this. And they're like, yeah, we just can't do it. They're a medium-sized company. Yeah. You're like, well, Apple won't you know, yeah, we just can't do it. Another good example of this it sold a few years ago, but is August. So they have a new smart lock here. It's a little bit smaller. And they sold to Yale, which is owned by Legrand. It's like a big, it's like the, the lock company. Abloy is the big company. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like selling out to a huge company, but it's like in order for August to have survived after a bunch of other people started just making things just like them, they're like, well, we got to get, we got to go somewhere. There's yeah. no way that we're going to keep on keeping on. Here's a plug. I interviewed August CEO Jason Johnson uh, for the show. Two days ago, and he's gonna. You'll stick around your feed, kids. Uh, <laughs> what do the pod, what do podcasters say? Keep refreshing. Yeah, cool. I don't think we have a good thing. Okay, we're gonna work on it. We're definitely keeping Subscribe. this in the show. Yeah, ring that bell. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> do it. Okay, so this I want to transition out of Sonos and how hard it is to be a mid-sized company to attack. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna transition from there to the Sony car. Oh, wow. Which is, I, Tron, I believe, one of your favorite things here. So Sony unveiled an electric car. So here's my, my theory about this car. It is so hard for Sony to like partner with the big companies and mm-hmm. be like, here's a bunch of cool Sony ideas about a car that it was easier for them to just build a car. Right? They couldn't be like, 
Google, we're going to extend Android Auto into this new experience on the inside of a car. Mm-hmm. We're going to take it and extend it and build it the way that we might be able to do with Android. They couldn't roll up to, I don't know, whatever big purveyor of, like, Apple is not going to let them extend CarPlay. Mm-hmm. BlackBerry like is not going to let them like, com- or FCA is not going to let them redo UConnect. So they had to just right. build their own car yeah. because it was easier to like build a functional car yeah. and be like, this is the Sony vision of a car than actually to partner with any company that supplies that stuff already. Well, yeah, because there are see, I did it. There are so many, so many of the automakers are sort of picking these sides with some of the tech companies on as far as like the software goes, which is one of the big focuses of the Sony car, which is the not just the entertainment aspect inside because it's full of screens and stuff, but like also the UI and everything. And so, yeah, I guess you're probably right. They were basically said that we're better off doing this. And so I, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, how many times do we go come to CES and companies, whether they're startups or whatever, they'll, they'll announce like a concept car and, you know, it might look really flashy. It might have a couple things that move and everything. And ultimately, it's a thing that doesn't really work. And yeah. it's really just about the idea. Whereas Sony, what was really interesting about it to me was, well, first off, it was a total surprise. No one had any idea this was coming. And honestly, they were like, it, they didn't even really give it the sort of attention it deserved. They were doing their own press conference for other things unrelated to the automotive world, yeah. including announcing the PS5 logo <laughs> <laughs> and really like leaving everybody out on the limb thinking there was going to be something more coming. Coming. And at the very end of the press conference, they were just kind of like, and also we want to support the future of mobility. And a car just rolled on stage and they were like, our sensor tech and our entertainment yeah. and all this stuff would be great for the automotive world. And everybody was kind of like, wait, a car? And like, <laughs> I, like people hadn't really even caught up to it yet before they were like, goodbye. And it was just <laughs> over. And everybody was kind of like, and so, yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. Like the the thing that was interesting to me was talking to them. Their whole pitch is is that idea of like, you know, our sen- our camera sensors are really good. There's no reason why our camera sensors can't be in the sort of like vision based uh, driver assistance packages that are going into a lot of modern cars. Eventually, potentially autonomous car, like fully autonomous cars. And then same with their entertainment stuff. And they were like, you know, we could make a concept car that just has some of that stuff nominally, or we can make a car that works. We'll partner with, they partnered with this automotive supplier called Magna that is like a contract manufacturer and a couple other companies. And, and they're like, let's make something that actually drives. And then that way, when we go to these business meetings with these companies that might be our customers, we can say like, Hey, we, you know, we don't know, we're not in the trenches with you, but like, we understand how hard it is to design an electric car from the ground up now in some capacity in a way that maybe these other companies don't. And like, I think they're just sort of expecting like that to maybe gain them a little bit of uh, credibility in a way that they wouldn't if they just rolled out a big hunk of plastic. Tell us about the actual car. Um, so, so it's an electric car. Uh, it's built on a sort of skateboard style platform where their, their battery is just like all across the floor. It, you know, allegedly has around three. 300 miles of range. It's, you know, it's got decent like performance specs as far as that side of it goes. And then, you know, on the outside, it kind of looks a little like maybe a, a Tesla and everybody kind of has a different opinion on how it looks. Yeah. Um, We've heard so everything nice. from Hyundai to Porsche to, to yeah. Tesla. So. Honestly, <laughs> the thing I think it looks the most like is like, especially from the side profile, it looks a lot like um, the Lucid Air from the EV startup Lucid Motors. But, you know, it's it, like, you know, smooth, clean lines. It was all silver, like barely a paint job on it. Uh, a real sort of like sweeping glass roof across the top. But the real focus of it is on the inside where 
There is uh, a set of displays that stretch from one pillar to the other, three displays, one in front of the, uh, the driver for uh, digital instrument cluster stuff, a touchscreen in the center for infotainment, and another touchscreen in front of the passenger for infotainment and, and navigation and all that stuff. And what was really cool about all that, that whole setup is like the user interface and the software, all of that, the design of it was really smooth, really slick. I wish I had, had more than like 15 minutes in the car to like play around with it because, you know, it may have just been like a demo setup to work. I don't know how it was running, how deeply it was yeah. connected to the car, but it, like it was a lot of fun to use. Um, yeah, I mean, and the Sony, animations and stuff are really nice. Sony making a good non non jittery touchscreen interface might be a first for that company. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, they only made one. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then there's like the there's another screen kind of in the center console. There's yeah, there's like a touchpad like coming off the tender center console, so you don't have to reach up and use the touchscreen. You can it's got like haptics, so like yeah. you can sort of like flick through. It's almost like a card based system, like the menu system in the, on the main touchscreen, and um, you know, and there's a lot of features that they sort of teased in there. There's like you know, it's using one of the cameras up front to record dash cam footage all the time. You could then theoretically, they showed us an example of this, uh, you know, say you were driving through San Francisco, but you were worried about like paying attention to the road. You could go back and look at that dash cam footage and like re, you know, enjoy your drive through the city, uh, by looking at the footage again and like set music to it and stuff like this. And like, uh, and then there's, you know, some real, like, we got to come up with some, some stuff yeah, That was where it started to veer in the, like, <laughs> you, you might've been like stuck on this project a little too long yeah. kind of thing. Um, but yeah. And then, and there's some other, you know, kind of, uh, future, like kind of bleeding edge, maybe not bleeding edge, but futuristic tech, like, uh, side cameras as opposed to side mirrors. Yeah. Um, you know, their big selling point for that. That's not a thing that's legal in the U S right now, but it's the thing that's catching on in Europe. And their big selling point there is like, these uh, are HD cameras and they're going to be automotive grade and the ones in Europe right now, like they're not as high quality. And, and so, so that was basically the whole pitch, but it was honestly the funniest thing about it was like, they really had no idea that it was going to be this like well-received. Like, I think they were just completely overwhelmed because everybody saw it and was like Sony car. Yeah. And, like, and then everybody was like, like just obsessed with that idea. Um, and I think something that's going to be really interesting to watch over the next, like probably five years or 10 years is like, we're going to get to a point and we're actually are almost kind of here. I was talking about this the other day with somebody and then I met someone from Bosch and they were like, Oh, we did this. We're going to get to a point where like the electric vehicle tech comes down enough in cost that like one of these big automotive suppliers is going to just be able to design one of these sort of skateboard platforms where it's just batteries, electric motors, and like, you know, sort of like plugs that run right up into something that you could just plop on top. And Bosch actually has an example of that on the floor here. And like, I don't think it's hard to imagine a scenario where like, you know, in five or 10 years, if that is cost effective enough, Sony could just like buy that skateboard. Well, I mean, not them because they put the work into making this one. Yeah. Any other company could buy that yeah. skateboard and make like a 5,000 run, you know, whatever car, you know, a GoPro car. Like yeah. it could be anything. Like, and I think there is a scenario where something like that could exist. But for right now, they have no plans to mass produce it. They were like, we have no plans to mass produce it. I was like, does that mean you have plans to do a limited run? And they're like, no, we don't mean that. (laughs) So they're not planning on making it. It's not something you're going to be able to buy. It is a very B2B thing. But, you know, it was was just really striking because... Usually, Sony usually people don't put that much work into their concept cars. I mean, they call it a prototype, but usually at CES, there's not that much. Uh, yeah, people don't show their work as well as that. So, what struck me about looking at the inside is got the three screens. Yeah, they're just flat displays. They're yeah, rectangles. 
there's a lot of other cars here. There's a lot of there's a lot of flexible and folding display tech everywhere, and like Byton is here. They're, they've got a 48 inch curved screen. I think we saw T's in the new Escalade that has like a 38 inch yeah. curved OLED. Like I think the idea of flexible screens inside of cars, we're not just like doing the Model Three thing, and it's like Elon went to CompUSA and like just bought a bunch <laughs> yeah. of 17 inch yeah. monitors. Yeah, we're actually like conforming it to the design of the car yeah. is super interesting. But you went and looked at the the Byton display as well. Yeah, I got to drive the car. Um, wow. and, and they're at like a really interesting story. They're a, a Chinese EV startup, um, one of many. Um, but they showed up at CES here two years ago and showed off the concept version of this car in this very sort of wild and wacky press event. Um, and in the time since, they've uh, struck a deal with First Auto Works, which is like the original state-owned automaker in China. So they have like some pretty legitimate backing now and are trying to get it into production this year. And the headlining feature is that screen. Um, they're not trying to make this their electric SUV anything like super performance or whatever. It's They're really focusing on that and some of the other tech in the car, like facial recognition and health tracking and, and all this other crazy stuff. Um, but I, you know, I, they were offering drives. It was just in like a parking lot, uh, as most demos tend to be <laughs> in CES. Um, so, you know, I, it, I could get a sort of a sense of like what it's kind of like to drive the car, but I was really trying to focus on, you know, this screen is so massive. Everybody's kind of looked at it and said, that's so distracting. It's so unnecessary and, and for good reason. And so I just wanted to get a sense of like, is that really going to be the case? And they have said that they put a lot of work and thought into trying to design the user interface so that it won't be distracting. There are like basically, so it's 48 inches long uh, or across or whatever. It goes from pillar to pillar. It's pretty tall too. It's probably about like maybe 10 inches tall. Um, and the way they sort of divvy it up is there's, there's almost like four sections. It, there's no like physical divider, yeah. but like the one right in front of the driver is like always only going to be like instrument cluster stuff. And then the next three are like widgets and you can basically flip through different things. You could put like a stock act, thing up. You could put a news headline thing. I love the idea that you're like customizing your button screen. You're like, I gotta get that stock widget. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, but they said that those widgets won't update while you're driving. Okay. Same thing with like, obviously this screen is, you know, a pretty good fit for media. Um, but you won't be able to play video while you're driving. They've showed off on stage, um, you know, an in integration with teleconferencing stuff. Um, but you wouldn't be able to do that while you're driving. They're, they're basically saying the idea is like, ultimately if this car was able to drive itself, like obviously then you could use all this stuff like while you're on the highway or whatever. But, um, in the meantime, they've done all of that kind of stuff. And then like the, just the UI elements in general, they've tried to make it pretty minimalist so that it doesn't distract you. And one thing I did like about it is, uh, well, two things that made it feel not too distracting. One is that the screen is really kind of sunk into the dashboard. The dashboard sort of like dips down and the screen's like, it, it's not as in your eye line as you think um, it might be in the photos. And then the other thing is I actually really liked having like the speedometer and the range and everything. It's like right under your vision, like like almost in the spot where like a heads up display is on modern cars. And so, you know, their pitch is like, you know, in a Tesla Model S or X, you're looking not only over but down because of the vertical screen. And so like having that information like right there is you know, potentially safer. But the thing that was really distracting is there's a screen in the steering wheel too, which is, you know, their pitches because the big 48 inch screen isn't a touchscreen. It's just a, it's a, uh, a regular display. And so you control it with either the touchscreen in the steering wheel that or they ha- also have a touchpad coming yeah. off the center console. Um, and it's just like, this one is like, I, I was trying to figure out like why it was so, 
disrupting. Uh, and it, it wasn't until I was like writing about it last night where I was like, I guess I'm just never used to having a screen that close to my face that I'm not like purposefully holding. Like right. it feels like it's being like thrust in your <laughs> face and there's something very, there's like a tension there that made it feel really distracting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that like, because they've gone so all in on this screen, like they definitely, it's partially up to them to like really justify this. But like you said, like there are so many other car companies that are going this direction that like, we really can't rely on them to be like the arbiters of whether or not this is a good idea. Like it's really going to be up to everybody to just like push back on the idea, like really force these companies to make the case. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's going to be a lot of them that are going to have to make that case. I mean, I think this, this year is an inflection point in flexible displays. Like yeah. they're here. Yeah. Right. Like everybody, my favorite like show floor, like trivia bit is real which made the bad folding yeah. phone. And they made a, they made a, a, a speaker with a screen that goes around it. Well, so they've got yeah. one trick. They're like Dyson. Like what's Dyson's yeah. one trick? They like, made a fan. Yeah. Like now there's anything that has a fan in it. There's a Dyson version. Like Royale is like, we definitely figured out how to fold the screen. Yeah. What if we put it like literally there's a top hat with like a Royale screen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. It's you guys. Uh, so, they made a purse, but like they set up their booth right outside the LG booth. Uh, so it's like, they're just hoping some LG executive walks out and is like, we should buy this company. Yeah. But you see it. It's like, it's here. Like there's flexible displays everywhere. Yeah. And I think that, okay, we're going to, we're actually going to re conceptualize the interior of cars. Cause we're not working with rectangles. Yeah. Like super interesting. Yeah. Cause it does have like kind of a curve to it and it's, it, it is a nice looking screen. There's like the resolution and everything is really good. And, um, if you wanted a giant screen in front of your face, like this is probably this is the, the one you want. Yeah. But, uh, this discussion about, uh, has been, very earnest and uh, thought-provoking, interesting look at the future. It is time to talk about the Avocar. It's time oh, to talk about the Avocar. The Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, Mercedes-Benz made a concept car, um, as they often do. They are a, th both they and parent company Daimler are very into uh, telegraphing where they want to bring things by making extremely flashy concept cars and often debuting them here at CES. We've yep. seen a lot of them over the years here. Oftentimes they have a more specific technological purpose, like the, the F zero, any technological yeah, purpose. like the F zero one five, uh, was this one that they showed off a, maybe four years ago or something like that? That was like all about like here's like what we think like an autonomous car could be like in thirty years or whatever. Whereas this one, so this one was it was so funny because they were being extremely careful about telling us anything about the event. It was just basically like come to this thing, you want to be there, and. And it was because they were working with an entertainment property, you know, like they were working with Hollywood. And so like it just gets more difficult. And so they made a concept car and they made it in conjunction with the people behind Avatar, including James Cameron, who came out on stage. Um, and the, the car is called the Mercedes Benz Vision AVTR. And it is inspired by Avatar. Uh, the the film from 2009 that has spent a decade teasing sequels. Avatar is bad. Avatar is a bad movie. Avatar is really bad. And instead of like promoting <laughs> a, a particular technology or, or whatever, what they were really trying to do with this concept car is say that they, like many other automakers, have really big sustainability goals for the next like 20 or 30 years. And they were saying like, okay, so by 2039, we want to do X. So what would a car look like in that really far off future that would be like the most sustainable thing in the world or like the most environmentally friendly car in the world or whatever. And so they 
were that was like the genesis of the concept car. How they got tied up with Avatar, I'm really not sure. But at one point, you know, well, James Cameron was like, "Look, I've got this idea for a car in my movie, but I'm never actually going to make this movie. Would you like to build the Avatar?" Yeah. So they tied up with Avatar at some point, and then the whole thing becomes like, you know, in in Avatar, the 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 there's a battle over natural resources, or you know, whatever. That was basically do you control the it by putting your ponytail into its ponytail? No. Okay. So <laughs> so the environmental thing is one thing, right? Like I'm I'm into that if that's like how, cause that's sort of what they normally do with concept cars. But then there's this whole other part of this where like this car, you know, it's supposed to be autonomous if you want it to be, but there's no steering. So there's no steering wheel. There's no pedals, nothing. The only way to control this car is in the center console. Uh, there is this, it's hard to describe. It's like a, like four layer, like oval thing that like accordions up from the center console to meet your hand. And like you put your hand on it and you can like just move it forward and that like launches the car in autonomous mode or there's supposed to be a mode where like you can use that almost like a joystick to drive the car around. This thing also matches your heart rate and breathing. And so like, this is where they lost the plot where this <laughs> and some of the other things in the, in how you interact with the giant screen in the front is supposed to be the literal. And I mean that like I actually said literal merging of human and technology and like they went down this whole path and James Cameron did this too when he came out on stage where he was like, uh, I forget the exact quote, but he was basically like, yeah, like humans and just like the Navi and the Banshees, like, and they plug their hair. Like I had totally really? forgotten about Avatar. He was like, yeah. you just how like they plug their hair into the Banshees and become one with them to like, travel. He was like, we will merge with the machines. <laughs> and so it was like, it was so weird because like he's also on this like big uh, you know, he did an interview with CNET and he was like, you, you know, like I'm super into like the environmental concerns and like whatever, but he was also very into this idea of like, Oh, we're definitely going to merge yeah. with the machines. So he's like, you car. remember my hit movie, 2009's avatar. Yeah. You're aware that the, the main characters are a race of beings called the Navi and they have horses called banshees. Like, yeah, you have to care so much. about Yeah. Avatar yeah. For that and so like, yeah, yeah. So that was kind also, of, I believe the Navi, make love to each other doing the hair thing right oh god i don't know i hadn't seen it in so okay. long because i only ever watched it once because it was a terrible it's movie really <laughs> also like how many years does he have to be able to reference avatar and assume people know what he's no, talking about he has, like, there's the no theme way park teens have seen has, avatar yeah they have the theme park and then the sequels are supposed to be coming in fact part of the event on monday night was showing off concept art for avatar concept 2 art in the middle avatar of the event, they, they spent an hour debuting this car and that was the only thing they showed off and so it was like honestly it was like the opposite end of the spectrum of the sony car where like this is just like way too yeah. much and like honestly i think the weirdest thing about it i didn't really write about this um because they didn't really get at it but it's kind of what they were getting at which is like okay back to the environmental stuff <laughs> like you're talking about this movie where these indigenous people are protecting their natural resources. And like, it just felt like really weirdly like appropriative of like a fake culture that doesn't exist. It's like, Oh, you, you wanted you, to promote your environmental sustainability by appropriating an indigenous culture from a fictional piece of work. And which I was is like, also appropriating indigenous culture. <laughs> yeah. Which itself. is also, yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, I don't know. There was something really gross about that. Like the more I thought about it. So that's the Mercedes Benz avatar. Car. Um, I don't think you mentioned the most, important aesthetic property of the car, yeah. which is the scales. Oh yeah. The it scales. has 33 bionic flaps. Mercedes Benz called and them scales. on the back, but they're scales and they like <laughs> kind of, it's honestly like if I was standing behind them at one point and uh, on the stage and they like, they all actuate up and they do it in like different patterns and stuff. And this is another point where they lost the plot where they were like, 
oh, it would be used to maybe communicate with other pe people outside the car or the driver. And it's like, how is it going to communicate with the driver? You can't you even see through it. Like, there's no way to see it from where you're sitting. And like, obviously, people walking by your avatar car are like, oh, I recognize that pattern yeah. of flapping. Yeah. yeah. Someone is in distress. <laughs> but like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just can't um, wait for it to show up in like a Migos music video in oh, like absolutely. a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Quavo's like, on this shit. <laughs> was it was the Cybertruck? Yes. Yeah, yeah. the Cybertruck is in <laughs> Travis Scott. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, that's enough Avocar. Tell us very quickly about the Segway S pod, then we gotta take a break. Egg, 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 egg. egg. You know, Segway entered our hearts like two decades ago with their weird stand-up two-wheeler yeah. self-balancing vehicle. Uh -huh. Uh, they did that for a long time with a bunch of different iterations, including like off-road versions and whatever. And they got bought by Ninebot in China. Uh, and they started making hoverboards and like, you know, no one cares about hoverboards anymore. And so now Segway has basically like the next generation Segway, which is another two wheeled self-balancing vehicle. But instead of standing, why not sit? <laughs> and so there's this thing that kind of looks like, you know, half an egg. And it's a chair, and it sits on the two wheels, and it's called the Segway S-Pod. And it's basically a seated Segway. You don't have to lean to move it. There's a little joystick on the, like, sort of right armrest, and uh, and you can, like, pilot it around. And, you know, it's ridiculous. It's definitely gotten a lot of flack already because people are kind of like, wow, this is the thing from WALL-E, and, like, how lazy are we that we need to sit down on a Segway to move around? But... I think for one thing, like one thing it has going for it is like, it is kind of hard for some people to get used to the like balancing you have to do on a traditional Segway. Um, it could have sort of ad like applications for people who have mobility challenges. They didn't really talk about it in that sense. I really do think that they want this to be the thing where like you and your family go on a, a tour, a Segway tour of like Washington DC and like your, all just your grandma's the laziest tour. Your grandma's not going to like stand up on the Segway. Yeah, She's going to sit in this thing. But I'll, well, it, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, so I got to ride it and it's or drive it. And it's, you know, it's kind of wild. It's supposed to Sean, have a, I, Let's just be clear. I was told that you crashed it. You crashed it. I did not crash it. You are so ashamed of this fact. I think it, you should wear it as a badge. To be clear, uh, a, a crash occurred. A Sean crash occurred. Crash it. The joy. No, so I went to. <laughs> we were basically done filming. This is how it always happens. It was basically done filming, and Phil, our video director, was like, "Go over there. We need like one more shot." And so I went, went down on this little track they had at their booth to try and turn around and do like one more thing. And as I was like driving away from Phil, the joystick just like popped out because this is like a full CES prototype. Yeah, yeah. Like it worked really well. I'm actually was like really surprised at how well this thing it's, it's a lot of fun to drive. It's pretty nimble and it is just like rock solid. Like you, you press the button and it lifts up and like, it does not feel like you're on two wheels. Like it, they, all of the experience they've gained in developing this technology over the years was like pretty evident. But it was a prototype, and so the joystick just popped out, and it sort of like locked me into that scene, <laughs> and like into the wall I went, and like punched punched a hole in like the wood oh wall. No. Did it and automatically it, stop when it hit the wall? Yeah, and it like tilted down. Like it certainly wasn't like it oh, wasn't yeah. a violent. It did like, it did like a sad like wall. Like yeah, <laughs> and then like the headrest popped off, and it was it was just very much. They gave like, you a helmet for a reason. Yeah, they gave me a helmet for a reason, and it's like it's the perfect example of like how these like CES is like always like one small move 
move in the wrong direction yeah. away from like breaking apart. Like everything here is just like I will never forget Joanna Stern and the the the, the, the robot suitcases. Oh it's yeah, just like endless disaster of the robot suitcase. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 not something they're going to start selling to consumers right away. It's something they want to trial in like you know fleet man like fleet settings. Like I want these for stuff, the office. Here's here's. I'm one. telling you, it's one of those things that you you ride and like. All of the things that you think you'd be worried about, especially like how you look and everything, go completely out the window because as soon as you're in it and driving it, you're like, this is awesome. (laughs) This is how Wally literally begins. Everyone's like, what if I just stay in this chair? All right, we got to take a break. I'm going to talk about streaming awards. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. We've returned. Ashley Carmen. Mm-hmm. You've been to war. <laughs> you could say that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, CS. there's a lot of content companies here. Yeah. Just CS in general, but like <laughs> Warner media had a thing. NBC like mentioned Peacock. Yeah. But they have it yeah. yesterday a little bit later. The Peacock guys are so deep. Like Viacom CBS even announced a deal with Byton to provide content for yes, their screen. God. So it's, oh, wow. it's all over the place. Yes. Finally two and a half men in your electric vehicle. <laughs> um, that's what everyone's been dreaming of. Spotify had a bunch of announcements, mm-hmm. but let's start. I mean, there were streaming companies here, but the streaming company that was here was Quibi, which Vergecast Vergecast listeners know what Quibi is, right? Like, we don't have to run through the whole rigmarole of like... Quibi is Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman's new streaming service that provides uh, quick bites. Quick bites. (laughs) That's what I got for you. Two hour long movies broken up into 10 minute or less chunks that are serialized so you can only view these 10 minute chunks once a week. Yeah, so you have to wait to see the two hour movie. Brutal. <laughs> and then at the end of all the weeks, then you can watch the two hour movie still broken up into 10 minute chunks, but you could do it all at once. Yeah. And then there's like other stuff, but they, they, they like, they're like, CS, we're doing the keynote. Yeah. So Jeffrey Katzenberg, Meg Whitman, primetime Wednesday morning keynote at CES. They came, we didn't know what they were going to be debuting here. We figured, okay, we've heard about Quibi. They've been making so much noise about their content deals. They have everybody from Spielberg to J-Lo to 50 Cent. <laughs> your favorite. Polygon has a deal. Polygon has a, yeah. yeah, Polygon, uh, Vox Media Property has a deal. Um, they've just been announcing tons of content deals. So, you know, we knew that side of the business, and we figured at CES, this must be the moment where we're going to get a peek at the app. Like, yeah, Naturally, they're launching the this thing. Like, show it to us. Right. Yeah. This is the time. That did not happen. It did not happen even a little bit. Nope, not even a little bit. Uh, we were told, we had a, a press briefing ahead of the keynote where we got a little bit of a preview of what they were going to discuss. And they said, we'll send you some photos, like a teaser of the app. The teaser of the app 
was a render of a phone with a Quibi logo on it. <laughs> it's the loading screen. Okay. Oh, is that the loading? Okay. Uh, what they did show was their, their flippy tech. Turn right. Style. So what they uh, say, so we didn't get to see the app at all. We heard that it might, it's inspired by TikTok and Instagram more than Netflix, where you see a list of titles. They want you to get into the content right away. That's what we know. They also showed us their patented technology called Turnstile, which allows you... Turnstile is spelled with a Y, by the way. I was... Oh, is it really? I was just thinking that, and I was going to ask that, and I was like, is that a CES fever, fever dream that I had? Or is <laughs> no, it's, nope. that's Turnstile. So Turnstile is a technology that allows you to seamlessly switch between portrait and landscape mode. The directors are filming their content with this technology in mind. So some of them are really leaning in hard where they are creating two fully different cuts. So maybe if you're in portrait mode, you'll see one thing. And if you switch into landscape mode, you'll see a totally different scene from a different point of view, which is supposed to entice you to want to switch your phone back and forth throughout your 10 minute quick bite. Yeah. There's 10 minute quick bites and there's also like two minute daily things and there's weather and horoscopes and yeah. Right. There's other content. Any quick bite you want available to you. For five dollars a month with ads. With ads. Well, with ads. right, that's what's crazy. There's ads in the ads. ten minute bite. It could be less than ten minutes. There's ads. What if uh, Neeline I know wants to go deep on how turnstile works? What if the, the five dollar a month thing is like not? I mean, it's real, obviously, but what if they don't actually expect anybody to ever subscribe? They just need to put a price there to seem legit. And what their real monetization strategy is is just content deals with uh, cell phone carriers. So they only have one, which is with T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. T-Mobile is, quote, bundling it. Okay. Uh, we were told that it won't be preloaded on phones. T-Mobile is going to market it. Okay. And, like, something, something, something. If you have it on your phone, if you download it and use it, like, there's some rev share there. Okay. But it's not like, you know, like, what is AT&T going to do? Like, obvious, horrible thing they're going to do. Like, the HBO Max app will be, like, preloaded on every Android phone that AT&T makes. T-Mobile is not doing that here. So we didn't see the app. Did not see the app. We did see Jeffrey Katzenberg, which was a true Amazing. experience. Amazing. He, I, I think, actually, you pissed him off. I did. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Because I brought up Disney. Katzenberg used to basically run Disney. Um, yeah, and he was fired from Disney. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. So, bad blood. And yeah. we brought up Mandalorian to ask how, if, if Quibi, you know, could learn anything from Mandalorian, specifically the viral success of Baby Yoda, and how maybe when greenlighting all this amazing content, he might consider the memes. Yeah. And that, that's it. That set him off. Yeah. Wow. He was like, I've been doing this since before you were fucking born. He literally It was like that. very funny Which when he said Which is accurate. Which yeah. is true. 100% but accurate. Like, listen to me. Like, yeah, TV shows are great. Like, big hit TV shows are great. But I get to say that I've been doing this since before you were fucking born. It was great. Yeah. He was, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, we have to like spend more time with him. That's what I would like most from Quibi is just a Jeffrey Katzenberg show. Mm-hmm. Um, so and turn, with Meg Whitman. I'd with pay Meg $5 Whitman. a month for that. <laughs> just like, Meg, Meg those, and Jeff show. Those quotes set next to the ambitions of Quibi in your piece was like the most hallucinatory thing I've read this week. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. So that, okay. So I want to talk about the, that, that feeling, <laughs> that. but just really quickly on turnstile. I don't think that we actually saw it working. Right. Yeah. So you, this, this was like Neil's moment during our, <laughs> I was just car, like, Neil, run free. Go yeah. man. If Go. you show me a piece of technology, I will try to break it. <laughs> if you're yeah. in your car, I want you to pull over. And imagine that you are doing, making a product that has anything at all to do with video. Yeah. And then imagine what Neil's first question will be. And just pause 
<laughs> and make you sure know that you have an answer to that the, question. The answer is he will he will grill you on bitrate. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, let's just, I'll just make it very simple for people. If you're going to ship creators to sh- make their videos on Quibi, they have to upload two different video files. They yes. upload a portrait one and a landscape one. Right. They're, it's not like one weird new format. They're just uploading two videos. They're cut in different aspect ratios. So if you're going to instantly rotate between them, the easiest answer is to just send both files to the phone which means every video will be twice as big as a regular video, which is bad because they're designed to be viewed on phones. They usually have data plans. So we're like, how are you solving this? And like, this is the big patent is like, they have a proprietary compression tech where a lower res version of the thing you're not watching comes along in a sidecar. They call it the sidecar. And when you switch, it switches to the lower res version and then scales up. So every time you rotate the phone, the video downgrades. Like just by nature of the thing, but we were rotating the phone and everything was perfect. And I was like, is this real? And he's like, it is real. We just preloaded it because the Wi-Fi is bad and we haven't actually seen it working on mobile yet. We haven't actually seen it streaming yet. And I think that is like the big question mark is every time you rotate your phone, if the video gets worse, you're not going to rotate your phone. I, w- I will say end. like, that's the end of my, my bit rate. There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot that can be said about Quibi and how ridiculous it is. There is, I mean, like, they did the thing that I think we all love, and there's definitely a very CES thing, which is they made that piece of tech, and they made an idea that is just like there's something deeply interesting about that, even yeah. if it becomes a thing that no one ends up using. Like, yeah, it's just great. figuring that out is like a fun challenge to uh, solve. Their <laughs> CTO uh, Rob Post told me that like even when they do the offline viewing and they send the whole files, the way compression works is you still don't get you still don't use double the data. It's still less because they're compressing so many similar pixels in portrait and landscape. Uh, so that's like really cool. Yeah, that's super cool. That's awesome, right? Okay, I buy it. But the hallucinatory part was like, Trevor Katzenberg would be like, this is a third era of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, the training day director yeah, told us yeah, yeah. Quibi has invented a new language of cinema. Yeah. Okay. Well, so first of all, <laughs> I, asked, I definitely asked a very leading question. I was like, is this cinema? And he was like, of course it is. And I was like, wow, we're in it now. Can, can I, can I just very briefly, this is, I was going to write this in the newsletter and I got halfway through and then I was like, I can't finish this thought. And so I'm going to delete the last hour and a half of work I did. And uh, an unfinished thought is perfect for the Verge cast. That's what we're here for. Anton Fukua is totally right. That this is a new language of cinema. Maybe. Here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it is. The, the, the first TV shows were basically just like radio shows that happened to have cameras in front of this them. This is right? 100% the Quibi like hype reel. Yeah. Like, no, reel. but it's an animation that's about, that does exactly oh, what do, you're about they do, to they say. Oh, they make this thing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the keynote, they literally ran through the history <laughs> of media. <laughs> I, am, I am a huge sucker for, oh, we have a new screen. We need to figure out how to change things that feel so it feels right yeah. on the screen. This is why I'm super into iPad OS. This is why I was super into web OS back in the yeah. day is like, oh, we should actually like think about this thing. And it's always the second or third generation that gets it right. Because the first generation is just imitative of what came before it. And I am not saying that he's right. I'm not I mean, actually saying that he's right. definitely saying he's right. But <laughs> that's what you're saying. I do. I just, I you, love you the idea that they right. are trying it. I don't know if they're right. They're probably yeah. not. But the uh, fact that they're like taking seriously the idea that they should change what professional video is for a phone is interesting. So it's funny they brought up WebOS. Oh God. Because, <laughs> because failure. <laughs> no, I remember the WebOS keynote very distinctly as I'm sure you do. Uh, it had the same vibe, which is they were acting like they had already won. Right. They are acting like they already had millions of users and they had already changed all these behaviors and they were showing you how the world would work in the future. Uh, 
and we all bought it. And maybe I'm just jaded because we lived through many of those moments yeah. together. Uh, but I was like, you don't have any users. Like zero people have no this app users, on their phone. No users, no app, no yeah. work, like technical demo that is actually, you know, connecting to their servers and do, delivering. Um, yeah. It was just like, <laughs> so that, that's the I was like, you got like, there's you a lot do of missing have Spielberg, pieces. Although he was not at the keynote, so maybe yeah. not. <laughs> I was expecting like a parade of stars Same. at the keynote. I mean, but this is what's so interesting about Quibi is regardless of whether it fails or not, it hits on so many of the moment conversations right now. Like the cinema conversation of Netflix is buying movie theaters because directors are like, I want my film shown on a big screen. Now you're going to ask these directors to put the effort in to build videos specifically made to rotate on phones. It's like, yeah. okay, that's a whole new level to this discussion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the advertising piece is actually super interesting. They've, it's, they've, they claim they've already sold out their first year of ad inventory, which comes to $150 million. Procter & Gamble was on stage being like, we love this. They showed off a Pepsi ad. There's a Mountain Dew ad, too, with a car I think I saw somewhere. Um, I think advertisers don't want to be on YouTube. They don't want to be on Twitch. Like Those are dangerous places for their brands right. because yeah. of the things that happen there. We cover How often do we cover demonetization? So it's like there's more yawning commercial demand for this service to exist than maybe consumer demand. Right. Like everyone in Hollywood wants this to exist. Everyone, like every advertiser wants this to exist. Jeffrey Katzenberg wants it to exist. And like, I don't know if people want it to exist. So, so what you're saying is that Quibi is going to cause the next recession. Yeah. It's just like one of those <laughs> things. It's just like, it's, it's one of those things where like, yep, they checked all the boxes. Like what if there was a thing that was better than YouTube that you could watch that was full of Hollywood celebrities? And what if it didn't cost so much money? And what if that was a great advertising? Like, yes, check, check, check. Yep. You know, what's really hard is getting anyone to download an app and pay $5 a month to watch ads. Like, <laughs> so we'll see. But it I was mean, a very IGTV entertaining day. It has tried to pursue this, not to the, obviously the billion dollar funding, you know, right. actually giving Spielberg money to build a two hour movie. But IGTV has been pursuing stars. They hired a full LA team to literally sit down with Drake and be like, Hey Drake, check out this cool thing you can do and how you could use it to market to your audience. That is their job. And well, like they the had stars not, still don't want to use IGTV. They had some not so kind things to say about IGTV and Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were like, Katzmerger was like, no, his <laughs> amazing line. They're spending, they're making content at $100 a minute. We're spending $100,000 a minute. Yeah. <laughs> which is like, you usually <laughs> say that. That quote's not going to come back to me in the <laughs> other direction. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, Los we Angeles Times, money. LA Times reported yesterday that they uh, got an additional $400 million investment. Yeah. yeah. I think like, like the, billion. they've billion. through and the their, one of their big partners is actually Google, yeah. right? Like there's a bunch of Google stuff happening here. Um, so like I said, I think like it could just get willed into existence because people want it to exist, but they got to show us an app. Like it's amazing. They have, and they're supposed to launch app. April 6th. So they have they got, they got four months. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they have an app somewhere. I want to believe if you have a billion dollars, you will build an app. I want to believe <laughs> one app. that you can do that thing. Yeah. I'm not going to fully like, I want to believe. I'm not jaded yet. Everybody completely. wants to believe I, that the power of belief is strong here. The, I'm just telling you, I believed in Windows Phone. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I don't believe Quibi could succeed necessarily. <laughs> I'm just saying I believe the app <laughs> might believe might they will ship show one app. Up. Yeah. Yes. The billion dollar app sounds like an Apple TV Plus exclusive <laughs> reality <laughs> show <laughs> that would fail instantly. Yeah. Wow. All right, let's take a break and come back and talk about some gadgets and wrap this up. Wow. 
That guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Hello. Thank you for those kind words of introduction, Eli. I'm Paul Miller, and I'm here uh, from an undisclosed location that is not in even really that close to Las Vegas. And I just wanted to, to you know, do my, uh, the thing, you know, the thing I do every week. And it's called, So You Want to Get Into the GPU Biz. So you may have heard that Intel is going to do discrete GPUs. So Intel is a, um, a CPU manufacturer. They put embedded GPUs, you know, like the Intel Ultra HD or Iris graphics, that kind of stuff into their current CPUs. But now they're going to do discrete GPUs so they can compete with NVIDIA and uh, AMD. So you want to get into the GPU biz there's some, some, a little bit of a checklist. And so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of vibe out. Is Intel ready for this moment? One, do you have patents? GPUs are heavily patented. Y your grandma can't just go out there and make a GPU because she's going to get sued to the oblivion by uh, NVIDIA and AMD and Intel. Well, Intel looks like their new GPU, the DG1, is a scaled up embedded GPU. And now... That's probably not entirely true, <laughs> but it's not seemingly not that much more powerful than Intel's embedded graphics. It is more powerful, and but a lot of that's going to come from the fact that as a discrete GPU, you can put more power and more cooling because you get you get you get double the cooling basically because it's a separate part from the the CPU, right? So that's that's step one. So I think Intel has the patents because I don't know how much new stuff they're actually doing here. Two, do you have a confusing naming scheme? Of course, Intel has got this. The uh, the graphics card is right now, it's called the Intel DG1, right? So that discrete graphics one, I think that's what it stands for. Uh, but it's, and that's, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, that's pretty straightforward. But under the hood, it's built on the XE architecture. That's capital X, lowercase e, which I'm tempted to pronounce as Z, but you know what? Let's let it's also the logo is X to the power of E, which is great. <laughs> and uh, there's XE LP, that's low power, right? XE HP, that's high power. And then there's XE HPC, which is, you know, <laughs> Intel claims that this XE architecture is going to scale from ultra mobile that means like very thin and light laptops to exascale which i don't really even remember what that means you know what i think they're gonna really nail the confusing naming scheme in the long run but dg1 you know what i don't know maybe that's too simple step three or requirement three for being discrete doing discrete graphics superfluous design accents the intel dg1 if you, if you go on TheVerge.com, one of my favorite websites, there are pictures of the Intel DG1, but as a discrete graphic, like like a 
like a 1080 card, right? Actually not, not that big, but more like a 1060, you know, like a short graphics card that you put into a PCIe slot in your, in your desktop, right? But that's not what the DGI, the DG1 actually is. The DG1 is, it, the first iteration is actually going to be a discrete graphics for laptops in the new Tiger Lake Intel laptops. So it's not going to look anything like this because it's going to be tiny and inside of a laptop. And this is a big card. So I, apparently this, this picture of this DG1 card is actually a card that's going to go to developers because there's a lot of like, I don't know, driver work that needs, to, or I don't, I, I really actually don't have any idea, but this, this card is for developers. It's not for putting into your desktop PC because the actual card, the first, discrete graphics they're shipping are just for laptops. So, of course, the all the design accents are superfluous because it, you know, it this is um nonsensical as a a a, a design for a laptop uh, card because it is obviously not for laptop. You know what? Th this got confusing and, and that's on me. I'm sorry. But anyways, I just wanted to welcome Intel to the GPU biz, I think they're totally ready. This is gonna be really fun, really exciting. Obviously, AMD is also doing a bunch of, uh, uh, really refocusing on laptop graphics as well, it seems like. That's pretty exciting. So the whole whole scene's gonna be a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, have a good time in Las Vegas. Don't eat any questionable meats. Dieter, right before we started recording, we did our best of CS picks. We did. And I demanded that we pick the, the Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Fold, and everyone got very sad, including you. Yeah, I got very sad. My, my eyes went dead. I looked for the nearest ocean. You, you locked eyes with Sean, and both of you like wanted to die. Yeah. Uh, but I think a laptop with a folding OLED screen is by far the best thing here. But there's a lot of well, the, the The X1 Fold in particular is the best one here because Lenovo announced a price and said they were shipping it, and yeah. nobody else did that. There you go. Winner by default. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but there's like a lot of like good foldy PCs floating around here. There's a lot of foldy PCs floating around here. So not, not all good, uh, but all interesting. The, the really important thing to me is that nobody really knows exactly what to do yet. No one really knows how the fold should work. No one really knows should it fold this way or that way. No one really knows uh, how sturdy you need to make the thing in order to make the screen not crease, how durable the thing is going to be, really be. Um, but the most important thing that not anybody really knows yet or is not talking about directly yet because they can't is the thing Tom Warren has pointed out, which is uh, for all of these full DPCs, what's the software going to look like? Because yeah. Windows 10 super can't do it. So we need Windows 10X and we know very little uh, officially of exactly how that thing is going to work on these foldy screens. They should talk to the turnstile folks. <laughs> uh, but 10X is coming later this year, right? Yeah. So 10X is like, uh, we know it's coming on the uh, Neo... Neo, I get, I always get the Microsoft Neo and Duo, Surface Neo, Surface Duo confused. Yeah, I think it's like mostly going to be a full screen paradigm uh, instead of like Windows, you know, mm -hmm. which is Windows 10X. Not anyway, um, <laughs> but it's it's going to be aware of multiple screens and multiple uh, positions of those screens. I forget the word that they use. It, 
to like all the different ways that a screen can exist yeah. in relation to another screen. Um, and so they're thinking through that and Microsoft is the best position to do that probably. Um, but the thing about Microsoft and new versions of windows is when they try and come up with a grand new paradigm, the first time they do it, it's bad. And then the second time they do it, it's good. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is the windows eight windows 10 story in a nutshell, right? The Vista stuff. Yeah. Like all of that. every other, every, every other tick tock, tick tock. Um, and so I think it is actually fair to say that the 10 X is going to be like, uh, the tick, it'll be the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't have a huge degree of confidence that when these things actually start being sold, they're going to be great because I don't, I could be wrong. Microsoft could nail it and then everything will be fine, uh, and beautiful and wonderful. Uh, but I don't know. And then the very last thing I'll say about the foldables is every time you bring up, well, you know, is this thing really durable? What about it's plastic basically. And like, you got to put all this protections around it. You know, what about, what about glass? And they're like, yep. Yeah, man, glass. As soon as we have glass, it'll be fine. It'll come. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and not in a way of like, whatever they don't, they like hope someday it happens, but it's like, sigh. I wish I could tell you what I know, but I don't, I can't. Yeah. Because there's one glass supplier in his corning. Yeah. And they'll be like, you're the one who told. Yep. You get no glass. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, I've heard that too. We'll see. I'm just excited. I'm actually very excited for form factor evolution. I think rolling screens are going to push new form factors. And like, I've been trying out this phrase, the tyranny of rectangles. Ooh. That's it. Leave I like it. it. Time for squares. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, the revolution is here. Sam Byford wrote the best headline, though. 2020 might be the year of reasonably okay foldable PCs, comma, maybe. Yeah. Just like, yep, that's that's how I feel. I feel good about it. Okay, yeah. let's run through a few other things that happened here. <laughs> uh, Samsung. 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 They're they're here. Yep. Uh, they made they Samsunged we, with a vengeance this they, year. They really oh, came at man. it. So yes, they did TVs. Yes, the, uh, we talked about the AI fridge race, which is amazing. Uh, they continue to have like smart closets that can shake your clothes free of debris. <laughs> All right, whatever. You know, let's just start with neon. So <sighs> there's <laughs> everyone sigh. There's a there's a small group of people somehow associated with Samsung in some way. Uh, who have promised uh, to change the entire universe and that they think is as great, as grandly as Da Vinci and Michelangelo. Yeah. And they're going to make these digital avatars. The reason that we said those names is because they compared themselves to those people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, like word for word. Yeah. Uh, and so it, the idea is uh, there's a human on a screen uh, that looks and talks and acts just like a human on a screen. It can see you, it can interact with you, it has emotions and facial expressions, and is actually helpful. It can actually do what you want it to do, like give you the information about where to go in the airport when you're lost, or how to file your taxes, or get your you know license updated to the MV. I don't know whatever you'd want a digital avatar to do. Uh, but it's all driven by AI. It's not like a recording, and yeah. it'll look and feel naturalistic. Um, that's the idea, and that was the big hypey world changing promise that we got teased for days and days and days. And then the time came uh, for them to actually show us instead of tease it. And uh, Sam Byford was there. And um, yeah, it doesn't look good. It, it didn't work. It didn't it work. It crashed. Yeah. Uh, the CEO of this project, I think the company's called Star Labs. They're wholly owned by Samsung. The CEO is this guy, uh, Pranav Mystery. And he's like, yes, we're owned by Samsung, but no one can tell me what to do. Which is like <laughs> yeah. so this is the uh, other hallucinatory piece. Yeah. 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 He absolutely compared himself to like Renaissance masters. He's like, you have to think this big. And he's like, we don't have any business model associated with this. Honestly, who knows how rich Michelangelo was, which is an incredible. <laughs> it's like at the time he really cared about it. I'm sure. Uh, it doesn't work. Huh. I, I, 
there's like there's a bunch of buzzwords in the specs and like apparently it ran on like a pretty hardcore PC. But like James Vincent is like RAI reporter and he was like, I don't know what's happening here. James is so smart. He just always has the right take. So everyone should read what James writes about these things. Uh, The artificial humans from Samsung. Samsung, uh, in addition to artificial humans. Uh Uh, released a ball. Yes. No. 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 They released nothing. They had a ball on stage, and it has a little camera on it, and it should be able to follow you around. It it should be able to like roll up to your TV and use its IR blaster to turn the TV on, which I know Neil I loves. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like a companion that like toodles around your house and helps you out, makes cute little droid noises. James Vincent is going to write that like the main reason this thing is compelling is that it makes little droidy noises and that's cute and so it's a more approachable robot. So they made a Sphero. Yeah, but uh, they, they didn't announce if they were going to sell it, exactly what it would do, when they would sell it, uh, and when they were demoing it on stage on like the the you know keynote before the night before CES opened, there was like an asterisk in the lower right of the stage that you could barely see that was like, may not represent final functionality. Which the functionality was nothing anyway. It was yeah, just, the functionality it's just is, a It's a ball. Yeah. <laughs> we accidentally yeah. shipped this cube. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't do as much. <laughs> they, they, at the booth, or it was behind glass the entire time. Yeah. Uh, you were not allowed to get up like yeah, you were not a step up to where it was. Yeah. You could only watch. Well, it they had a they had like a main demonstration area that was also behind glass. And they were um, like relaying the commands too, right? Like you well, couldn't you couldn't actually directly talk to it. No, you couldn't directly interact with it at all. Christ. And so I am not accusing Samsung of this, but there was nothing in that demo that couldn't have just been somebody with a remote control driving the ball around. Yeah. I don't think that's what happened because the people did walk up to him and say, come here, come here. And then like the ball did it. And like, you could do that at any moment. So like that, that worked. There wasn't actually somebody just sitting there driving the ball. Probably wow. 99%. Um, but like, it's so vague in what it yeah. is supposed to be and do and serve and purpose it's supposed to serve that I don't know, man. They made I a bunch like of multicolored balls. Like, when I was like, Sam, yeah, I just ball. Think it's cute. Like, into it. Let me have the cute thing. Sorry. It's called Bali. <laughs> yeah. I, like, <laughs> it's the yeah. ultimate, like, let me know the ultimate, but it is a very good example of how far Samsung has distanced itself from Bixby, where, like, there was probably a timeline where this could have been the Bixby, Bixby ball. The Bixby ball. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, we've, we're punting on Bixby. We're just calling it Bali. Did anybody <laughs> see any Bixby? At this booth, I don't think I saw it. I walked through that Samsung booth like maybe ten times, <laughs> like a magnifying glass. Like, where like, is Bixby? Bixby? They promised they're going to ship the little Bixby speaker, and they they have completely ghosted talking about the big speaker. Like it's just, it's just <laughs> memory <laughs> holding now. Uh, well, so R.I.P. Bixby. <laughs> Bali is my new best friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved. I watched. I watched that whole Bali demo. It's it like, like exactly. They know what will play in like Good Morning America CES yes. yeah. Roundup, and it's yeah. like. Bali, the yeah. ball that follows you around. <laughs> like, exactly. There's just always like a big, there's like a, always a lot of dissonance when somebody announces stuff like that without ever acknowledging the fact that there are hundreds of other like robot balls. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is definitely just like the CES, make it to Good Morning America's Roundup. Yeah. Wow, the cynicism is, is no, overtaking you. It's totally right. <laughs> She's totally Twitter. right. <laughs> I still like Bali. <laughs> Like, you got to get on the local news. What do we got? We got a ball. All right. <laughs> yes, Bali and chirps. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So the, the other thing that I thought was ridiculous was they had it and like the other display was like companion robots yeah. for like elderly folks. And so like they have like other ones that they've had for a long time and they're like, and our newest one. <laughs> 
Polly. <laughs> it's like, I hate you, Grandpa. Here's a ball. I didn't get you a puppy. It's just a ball. Well, their demo video has the ball with a dog. And like, it, oh tell God. me what dog wouldn't just wreck this thing. Yeah, yeah. my dog would tear what? this thing apart. But you know, it, it, it's like the ultimate, it's, it made me mad at how, I like moved. I felt in the moment where the ball rolls up and like curls up next to the, or like, it's like, curls up. yeah, no, like, like cozies Sorry. up next to the dog that's curled up. And it was like, Oh, oh <laughs> and I was like, oh, God damn it. Right, I hate advertisements. Everyone. I'm doing it. I can't wait for it. It charges via USB-C. Of course it does. There you I'm go. so excited. That's, I, I tweeted this. Therefore, it's good. So I take it back. Bali's good. All right. That's where we're ending it. We're ending no, it with wait, our wait, own wait, good morning. I, America I, I'm, not, I'm not letting you end it there because we haven't talked about the Intel NUC. You really want to talk about this? This like it's it's you want to talk. It's all you've talked. To it has caused today. some controversy. So Intel makes these little ga- these little PCs, right? And like they they've been trying to do it for a while. They're called Nooks, uh, and so now they've made a slightly bigger one that you can put a graphics card in, and the entire motherboard and Intel chip is modular. So like you could theoretically swap it out later. Yeah. And so the idea is you can have like a really powerful, good gaming PC where it's easier for a regular person to swap out like some of the core components that you traditionally never would. Uh, so it's like, it, to me, it's interesting because if I want a gaming PC, I'm going to want to make a cute small one and making a cute small one turns out to be a little bit more difficult than I expected. Um, so this all seems great. But on the other hand, um, it like, it basically turns the motherboard even more proprietary to like Intel than yeah. it was before. Because it's just basically like it's it's like a huge SOC, right? Right. Yeah. But what? Well, but you can open it up a little bit and like swap out the the storage and the RAM and stuff. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about it isn't just that Intel said we're doing this because Intel does that every year, and everyone's like, okay, Intel, we believe in you. Um, but they actually got other companies to get on board to use this like framework and platform for their own little mini gaming PCs. Like Razer is making a box that uses the same card that has your motherboard and your Intel chip on it. Um, So it's, it's one of these, like this could be really cool or this could be a dystopian hellscape where Intel controls yet more of the the PC market. Uh, We just don't know yet, or it could just fizzle and be a nothing. And like, but it's like, it's fascinating to watch. It's made a lot of people like pretty like grumbly. Really, I wouldn't expect these grumbles because it's, it's like they stopped doing the other stuff. Well, it's uh, they haven't stopped doing the other stuff, but like they could, uh, and it, it's it's this weird combination of like more modular and giving you more freedom to upgrade later, but also like less open and yeah. less ability to upgrade the way you want later. Like it's like moving from a a car whose engine you can screw around with to a car whose engine is sealed. That's just you are able to like easily replace that sealed engine if you want. Yeah. I mean, I look, I'm the Intel's biggest available market is like gaming PCs. So they want to like expand that market, get more people to build this stuff or use this stuff. They have to make it simpler than it is now. So I, I get what they're doing. I, I feel like the motherboards are proprietary now. Like that argument yeah. was like actually lost like some time ago. Yeah. Like it's a, it's another market over there. Yeah. I can't wait for you to get a Nook and then like really. really I might. I might do it. I I haven't ha- owned a like a proper gaming PC in a while because I decided I was going to simplify my life and just be a console person. Um, and maybe it's time to to give up that decision and make my life more complicated again. Yeah, I think I need that. Uh, the other the other PCB plot is uh, uh, AMD chips, but we we've running out of time. We I interviewed the CEO yeah. of AMD, Lisa. That'll Sue. come. If yeah. you're interested in AMD chips, I, I assure you, there's 45 minutes of that <laughs> soon to be in your feed. Ring that bell. 
I don't know. That's, what you know. that's, that's how you subscribe to podcasts. I said subscribe, now. and you said ring that bell. Yeah, if yeah, you, if you notification. Yeah, you, you oh. ring the bell, that's you get YouTube the notification, and then uh, Spotify targets ads to you. We have to, to stop this. <laughs> this podcast is over. I hope you can tell that we're very sleepy. Please forgive us. I love you all for listening to the Vergecast. Thank you, everybody. Rock and roll. Goodbye, Paul. <laughs> Promo code. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.